Kevin Bowen here. Don't forget to listen to The Fan now on 93.5 or 107.5 FM. And check out our latest coverage online at 1075thefan.com. And welcome back. Kevin's Corner. The month of February is about to be here. We are recording this on Monday morning. A little scheduling conflicts on Tuesday, so bumped it up to a Monday podcast. I'm Kevin Bowen. Chris Presley is with us as usual. Uh, The NFL man, six straight games of theater that hard to script. The Cincinnati Bengals and the Los Angeles Rams are representing the Super Bowl. We'll be in the Super Bowl here in two weeks. Uh, wow. Wow, wow, wow. Two very different ways to build. Um, but I think you can yeah. kind of take different things from each of them. We'll get into that on today's pod as well. Uh, touch on the Matt Eberflus, Chicago Bears job, and now the opening here in Indianapolis. Some D.C. candidates to go over and Twitter questions as always, uh, how was the weekend, man? It was good. Um, like you said, just watched great football. Can't script it, as you also mentioned. And when you look at those teams, I'm glad you mentioned how, uh, you know, L.A. was all in. Yeah, all you, in. You know, you're talking about Ursa pushing the chips all in. They were they traded for their team mm-hmm. and put out massive contracts, whereas the Bengals have done it from the ground up. And we're going to see two different teams and two teams that – didn't have great records, but as I tweeted yesterday, yeah, the Bengals were 10-7, and 7, but all you got to do is win and get in. And people kind of get annoyed. They're like, oh, they've only had, you know, they only had five touchdowns. They're really not that great of a team. And I'm not saying if they played the Chiefs 10 out of 10 times, they would win a majority. I still do think the Chiefs are better, even though they lost to them twice this sure, year. Sure, sure. But that's the beauty of sports. Yeah. You play to get into the, the uh, playoffs and that's what that's what can happen. Yeah, the one and done element is unlike anything else that you get, especially in the game of football and the parody across the NFL. Um, you know, a couple things from yesterday. I guess let's start with the AFC Championship game. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm literally seconds away from tweeting. Well, they put on the Bills Chiefs uh, replay. Like Chris, they're about ready to go up twenty eight three. Yeah, twenty one. I guess it's twenty one three at one point. Um, I don't know what the hell happened at the end of the first half, but like that is such a – I am a massive believer in momentum within games. At that point, touchdown, touchdown, touchdown. The three Chiefs drives. If they score again, they still are feeling great. Like, score, I mean a field goal. 24-10. That's, that's fine. You get the ball started the third quarter. If you go down and kick a field goal then, you're up 17 points. And you when you get up three scores in the second half – that, to me, is just a little bit of a different animal. Um, I know there's teams that have come back. Hell, we saw the Colts and Ravens this year play out like it did. But you know what I'm saying. Um, I don't know what Mahomes is thinking. I don't know what Andy Reid was thinking. The enemy, uh, whoever that's on. Five seconds to go, that is a back shoulder throw to Travis Kelsey or a fade to Kelsey or whatever. Like, that's it. That's it. It's a three-second play, maybe four. And Har- Harrison Bucker, you know, kicks the chip shot. Right. And you go into halftime 24-10. Throwing the ball behind the line of scrimmage, I don't care if it's to Usain Bolt or Tyreek Hill. I, I don't understand that at all. And then just how awful Mahomes looked in the second half. Like It's like that play started it. Yes. He didn't know. Like He Everything. tried to call a timeout. They had no timeouts. Right. It's, it was very unlike him. I think his football IQ is unbelievable. Like Usually right. he's very time management and game management centric. Um, and then that second half, 8 of 15, two interceptions. You know, Mahomes is obviously an Incredible player, one of the best players in the NFL. But that, like, 35 minutes of football, and then overtime. I mean, his first two passes are to... I felt like all three should have been picked, you know? Right. Like... Certainly the second down one, first down one could have. Obviously, third down was uh, Demarcus Robertson, Robinson. I don't know. I should probably know how to pronounce his last name, but that's who gets it, you know, on the first two targets there. So, just wild. Um, and then the NFC title game. You know, to me, Chris, the fourth quarter of that NFC Championship was like everything the Colts needed to know about the quarterback situation. Like, if you needed another reminder, and yes, Stafford threw an interception that you know Tart is going to think about for years to come, and Garoppolo threw one to Jalen Ramsey that Jalen Ramsey would have thought about for years to come yeah. had they not come back and won that game. 
but what did those two guys do around those plays? So each of them had a dropped interception, Jimmy G and Stafford. Stafford around the drop INT. 14 of 17 for 143 and three scoring drives. One of those being a touchdown. And some big-time third-down throws to Cooper Cup, um, who is just another person. Yeah. Absurd. <laughs> and Garoppolo is three of eight for 30 yards and did throw an interception. Like, the Rams traded for Stafford because he can make 98% of the plays. You know, he had the 1% play, the Tart interception, but the 3rd and 13 touchdown to Cooper Cup to start the game, or I shouldn't say start the game, but the first touchdown of the game, how many guys in the NFL make that throw? And then what Stafford did around that, I mean, they got down two scores, and at that point, Chris, it's San Francisco's probably one score away from putting the game away, and the Rams have no margin for error. The Rams have to score on every drive the rest of the way, especially with how bad McVay was clock management and yes. challenge-wise and all that. And Stafford was flawless besides one play, and Garoppolo looked like a guy that you have serious questions about. Um, to me, I sat there, and that when I turned the game off and rolled over and thought to myself about that, I'm thinking, that's why the Rams won a road playoff game last year with their number one overall pick and had been to a Super Bowl with him a few years ago and thought, we need more. We need more. For moments like that, to go on the road and beat Tampa in the divisional round, and then to be down two scores, where you know the Rams had dropped two touchdowns in that game, and you know Stafford had thrown an interception in the red zone, and yet they're able to bounce back, and he delivered for them. I thought in the fourth quarter, and then on the flip side, like watching Jimmy G and just that offense in general kind of unravel down the stretch. It's like, oh yeah, this is why they drafted Trey Lance. Yep. You know, they don't trust their court. You know, it's two very different ways to get to the same answer of how much the quarterback means in the NFL. Obviously, Cincinnati speaks for itself with Burrow at number one overall and him coming back from the ACL and all of that. But just unbelievable playoffs after really kind of a poor wild card round from an entertainment value. Boy, I hope the Super Bowl can live up to what we've seen in the divisional and championship rounds. You know, you brought up kind of the all-chips-in Rams situation. Um, certainly, the trade for Stafford, the trade for Von Miller, and really the Odell Beckham thing was less a resource thing and more of a... At that point, did Robert Woods torn, torn his ACL? I think that's why they went to get him, okay, because yeah, Woods, would, Woods had gone down. Yeah, I would have to double-check that. But that was more of just a, hey, we believe that the locker room can handle him. And they got Jalen Ramsey and Odell Beckham in that locker room. Yep. <laughs> but yet they feel good about what they have. And I've always said this. The core culture, character, I get what Chris Bauer is going for. But it, it's okay to have a couple screws that aren't completely tightened. And Lord knows I've put together some, you know, shelves in my house and thrown some things in the wall that I'm like, boy, man, that wall could come down tomorrow. Or <laughs> you, you get to the end of it and you're like, why do I have three washers left? Exactly. Just throw it in the junk drawer. Like, we'll right, figure it out later. Right. Yeah, I'll need that when I build some of my bare hands <laughs> later down the road. Um, so, yes, all chips pushed in, definitely. But I also want to acknowledge they drafted Cooper Cup and they drafted Aaron Donald. I mean, yep. those are two key pieces that at very impactful positions, not obvious draft picks. I mean, Donald was a stud in college, but, you know, people would write him off because of his height and his lack of, you know, wingspan and things like that. Cooper Cup was, what, second, third round? Somewhere around. I remember when he got drafted in, like, Eastern Washington. Yeah. Like, um, good for that scout. Like, you're Right, right. <laughs> so, I, I look at the Colts and I'm thinking, okay, and I tweeted last night after the game, it was Jim Mercer saying all chips in. Is it comparable at all? You know, like, how do, you know, the Rams have done it. How do the Colts, like, get there? Because I'm thinking, okay, and we'll get into this in February, mapping out an exact blueprint to the offseason. But basically, of the very important assets you have, you have a second-round pick and a third-round pick, and you have $40 million-ish in cap space. Let's say of that $40 million, 15 of it goes to your own guys. You know, Mo Ali Cox and Chris Reed and Eric Fisher and, um, I don't know, Ture, Tyquan Lewis, whoever else you want to throw in that group. Okay, that, that leaves room for, let's say, you go get a notable wideout and a notable D-end in free agency. Now, for Chris Ballard, that would be like, you know, 
probably me running naked around 465. Like, you know, <laughs> probably not going to happen, but we'll see um, if it indeed happens. Now you shift towards the draft. Okay, let's say in the draft, the right left tackle shows up in the second round. So then you take a left tackle. And then you come back in third round, and tight end has been, you know, stressed as a need. So then you take a tight end. So now you've gotten a wide out. You've gotten a DN for agency. You've gotten tight end in the draft. You've got a long-term left tackle. But you still have wins. You know, like, is that enough? Right. Like, is that, you know, there's just a lack of resources to do what the Rams just did. Um, and hindsight is super 2020, but, you know, when you sit there and Stafford's available, when you sat there a few years ago at the 13th overall pick, like, those are kind of your opportunities to really address quarterback in an aggressive, serious, bold manner that, you probably only have one shot at it, but as the guy that will be in the halftime show for the Super Bowl, one shot, one opportunity, baby. Yep. Listen to Marshall. He's got to come out in a Stafford Lions jersey, right? I heard. Did you see the tweet about that's the closest Detroit would ever get to a Super Bowl with Eminem and wore a Stafford jersey? Yeah, <laughs> that's really good. Really good. So, yeah, those are just kind of, I don't know, what I was thinking during the games, after the games. I do have to laugh, Chris, and you and I were texting about this on Saturday. Or on Sunday. How about my Quentin Nelson for Evan McPherson, who says no tweet? Yeah, it's written in stone, people. <laughs> I don't know if you guys saw the tweet, but <laughs> it's... So is this after... I think this is after his 50-yarder, right? Or his 52-yarder, yeah. maybe? Yep. I literally was texting my buddies, and I literally sent that to my buddies, and I'm like, oh, this might actually be kind of a humorous tweet. So I fired off. It currently has 142 replies, which for me, that is a ton of replies and i mean you've got people being like i i'm unfollowing you this is the idiot the definition of the most idiotic tweet ever i don't usually punch people in the face but if i saw you in public i'd hit you in the face they must not listen to the pot because if you listen clearly you have a personality and i'm not saying you don't on twitter <laughs> no but but I, you're very journal i don't yeah you're yeah. very you know professional as yeah, you should be. I'm a bit robotic. So on, when you so when you throw story. out something that's like, "Hey, this will be fun," how do you not pick up? No one in their right mind would say that. God, you know, and I love Twitter so much. Like for this, just people literally going life or death with me, ready to. Well, you're, you're, like, what was the one last year where you named four male athletes and left off a one, like Serena or something, uh, and yeah, people yeah, came yeah. out? It's like, guys, the man is being human and just. Putting out a fun opinion. Yeah, I don't know. The sarcasm meter on Twitter, sometimes you just don't 100% know what's going on there. So, And, you know, we've talked about it in this podcast before. Kickers are, I think, the most fascinating position in all of football. And this is me being serious, dead serious here. I, I watched this McPherson kid. One of my buddies texted me yesterday, like, dude, the ball just comes off his leg differently. Like, I feel like Hot Rod and... Badgley kicking it, it's the guy out of the bullpen throwing, you know, 88, whereas the ball comes off McPherson's leg, and I'm like, that is Chapman. Yeah. You know, that is Eric Gagne back in the day. Like, that is some serious gas and just hasn't missed a kick on the road. All I mean, I guess you draft him in the fifth round, so you would hope. Right. Uh, but he's got some swagger to him based off all that. And mm -hmm. Again, it's not high on my list, but, like, it is interesting to think about, you know, if you can upgrade kicker, do you? How do you do that? Right. Those sorts of questions. But um, yeah, dude, I I think I lost. I think I lost about a dozen yesterday. Really? I think so, man. I got a lot of people saying I've had enough. I don't know how you have this morning show. You're an <laughs> idiot. You look like a nerd. <laughs> They'll be back. Oh man. But Kev, uh, let's get to people who won't be back. Okay. Oh, nice. Chicago Bears. Matt Eberflus hired last week. Yeah, We've seen a couple of the other staff members that he's taking with us. What are your first thoughts on his hiring and then maybe touch on a couple of the other people that are going up there with him? Yeah, okay. Um, very good points. Let's unpack it here. And I do kind of have a combination candidate-wise I want to see get the job here. We'll okay. hit on that at the end before we get a Twitter question. So um, you guys know full well where I've stood on, on, on Eberflus. I'm not of the thinking, well, the grass is not always greener. Uh, you know, to steal, to continue that analogy, I think the grass is as green as it's going to get with Matt Eberflus. And where have you been in his era? You've been 
an average football team in the AFC. Is the defense the number one culprit? No, I, I don't think that's like, that's way too unfair to say that. But have there been issues defensively? Without a doubt. Um, so what I would like to see in this hire is kind of a three-pronged focus. The first being the pass game. Look at the two title games. It came down to how do you disrupt the, the the pass. I think back to the SEC quote, Chris. I'm trying to imagine myself at the national title game. Don't like SEC fans like have like a saying on Twitter like it just matters more here. It just means more. It does mean more. You know, so well as a volunteer <laughs> fan, yes, I certainly hear you out. Um, it's like what we do with basketball. You know, basketball yeah, yeah, yeah. just means more. Right. Indiana, which I think is a great line. Like, okay, well in the NFL, the pass game means more. It means more. Um, and in the Eberflus era, you ranked dead last in complete completion percentage. I think it was 69%, I want to say, over his four years. And, like, some might say, well, that stat doesn't correlate to winning. Chris, there are six teams that, I should say, the best six teams in that stat over this time period. Saints, Packers, Steelers, Bills, Ravens. And I think Patriots were the sixth team. Okay. Those six teams, again, they rank one, two, three, four, five, six in some order, in completion percentage allowed, stingiest, if you will. The Colts are 32nd. Those teams, one through six, if you look at their win percentage over the last 10 years, they're all in the top 10. So don't tell me that that stat doesn't mean something. You're letting an offense get into a rhythm. You're letting the passing game be too easy for them. And I think at times it's bit you much more. Mm-hmm. Um, than having a strong run game or, or, you know, other areas where I do think Eberflus' defense have been a strength. Um, And then, you know, when I say pass game focus, Chris, it's twofold. It's the back end and it's the front end. You know, from stickier coverage, more man coverage versus the front. And, you know, there we talk about development of your pass rush. Like, um, that hasn't been good enough. And then in the secondary, like, the mixes and matching of coverages. And, again, disrupt timing from, like, a press standpoint. That hasn't been there enough um, for my liking. They finished the Eberflus era 25th in pressure rate, and you've got six first or second round draft picks along that defensive line. So I find it too often people are like, well, you know, that's not Eberflus's fault. Like, he, you know, I'm like, okay, well, then is that a Ballard fault? And is Ballard swung and miss on five or six, like, first or second round draft picks. And obviously some of these guys are young in their careers, but none of them have even really showed any sort of, um, you know, Quiddy Pay had a nice rookie year. There's still a handful of guys that had better rookie years than Pay, and Pay was drafted, you know, 21 overall. So um, pass rush focus, pass game focus is probably how I need to word it. Back end and or front, that's got to be probably my number one priority okay. when I look for this defensive coordinator hire. Two on that list would be fresh ideas. Culture of effort, running to the ball, at times I thought it was a bit elementary by Eberflus. After watching it unfold and seeing the Colts and their activity defensively, he's dead right. I mean, building that culture, instilling that, the whole loaf thing, I, I know at times we kind of laugh at some of that stuff. I I think it's well, well um, thought of by Eberflus. I think guys probably get some public embarrassment, you know, inside of that meeting room when they kind of see themselves get called out for loaves mm-hmm. and, and things like that. Um, so I think that's a culture that you want to have remain here. But I also think, Chris, it's so apparent that you kind of need a fresh voice and maybe some fresh messages. Yeah, I know that sounds very like Larry Bird firing Frank Vogel. Well, you know, after three years, I just think the voice – uh, tires out, not to mention the roster had changed with like 12 of 13 players having changed, Larry, but whatever. Um, so I don't want to sound like I'm going down that path, but I do think like a fresh message and a fresh voice to where Eberflus to me is so consistent with his message, so consistent with his voice, that just naturally that's going to run dry. And I think it's kind of ran dry here in Indy. So um, when you think fresh perspective, and this is not totally Eberflus's fault, Part of it's because I think Ballard and Reich fall into this trap too, where there's not enough new life, new blood, fire, injection, something different to create, I don't know, a bit of a, oh, wow. I didn't realize, okay, coach is saying that now, or coach is doing that now. Like, that's not what he typically does. 
Um, so whether it's, this is how we defend tight ends. This is how we defend quarterback bootlegs. This is how I feel about fourth quarter defense. This is how I feel when quarterbacks get into an early rhythm. This is what I like to do to kind of change things up. I just think that should be welcomed. And and now it's looking like it, Chris. We're, it, it's going to be an entirely new defensive staff. Right. I mean, talking position coaches as well. So um, I think it'll be welcomed, and it should be welcomed, that someone will walk into this building, bring different ideas, challenge old ideas, challenge players a bit, and maybe open-minded to using guys in different ways or game planning differently. Like, it's all about, like, how do you get over the hump, Chris? The Colts are kind of at the hump. But how do you get over that hump? And I think that's where this new blood can come in and potentially be a good thing. Um, I don't think you're ever going to get to a January-level defense with Eberflus. Mm-hmm. So let's see if you can now. Yeah. Um, you know, Reich has his offense to worry about. You know, I've questioned his account- accountability before. Um, I get it. You know, it's not, I think, the ideal, ideal way to run the show. But, you know, whatever. There's obviously coaches that are heavily offensive-minded that have great success in the NFL. Uh, but now you get an overseer of that defense that is just going to be different, going to be new. The last thing I would look for is you got to be ready to dictate. You know, I've talked to NFL coaches before. They're like, oh, we're playing the Colts, simplest defense we get ready for all year. Just think about, like, the natural game planning that goes in every week. Mm-hmm. You want an offensive coordinator to sit there on Tuesday, getting ready to game plan for you and think, man, what do you think they're going to do with Leonard? What do you think they're going to do with Xavier Rhodes? you think they're going to put Julian Blackman over the top? you think right. they're going to put Kari Willis and Mann on our tight end for the entire week? You know, last week they did this. Well, yeah, but last year they did this. Like, you want to put seeds of doubt into their brain. And I don't play chess, Chris, but, like, you want to move the pawns yeah. more than, you know, whatever. Your opponent is moving and you've got to react. I have no idea if that's how the game works, but <laughs> that's just my guess. Um, that's kind of what I want to see. And everything, you know, to me, Iberflu's approach was so contrarian to Reich. Reich is so week-to-week centric, so aggressive mindset. Yeah. Um, you know, Hines has got 10 touches this week and then, you know, barely any of the net. Like, he does things so differently, and I just never felt that with this defense. Um, and, and I go back to the final game of the season, Chris. You have a Jacksonville team that, is literally, again, guys are ready to check into their flights on at halftime of the game. You know, they're ready to go in the locker room, find their cell phones, and be like, okay, 2 o'clock flight tomorrow, make sure. Okay, good. <laughs> um, I'm checked in. You needed to just make sure that you squashed their hope. Squashed it. They got the ball to start the game. Okay, that's a little bit of hope. That's a little bit of life. 58% completion percentage. That's Trevor Lawrence coming into the game. Third and 12, third and 13, first, play, first series of the game. Got him in a nice long down and distance. Here is Marvin Jones against zone, getting not touched one bit. Pitch and catch, first down, boom. Oh, wow. Some fans with the clown masks are standing up and clapping a little bit here. Like, all right, Trevor Lawrence completes all eight on the opening drive. It ends in a touchdown, and the rest is history. Like, I don't want to hope the opposing offense makes mistakes. I want to force them into bad situations to where they're more prone to make mistakes. I think that's been missing too often from this defense. You know, I keep on going back to the Chris Ballard press conference a few weeks ago, Chris, when um, Ballard you know, offered up something like, you know, I felt like once we started playing more man after that Jets game, completion percentage allowed really went down. Um, and I really liked that. And I'm thinking to myself, well, I agree with you. Doesn't that make you, like, maddening that it took the Jets on Thursday night football with Josh Johnson to open your defensive coordinator's eyes to that? Like, four and a half year or whatever, three and a half years, 50-some games into your career? Like, that's where – let's get ahead of these issues and not, like, see them for the umpteenth time. And then you're like, oh, here's an epiphany. And lo and behold, it's not like it – was that way the final two months of the year because in the final game of the season, we see we still saw them revert back to that. So those are my three areas. Pass game focus, fresh ideas in general, voice and message, ready to dictate. Um, any thoughts on that, Chris? I, I do want to hit on a couple candidates before we get to Twitter questions, but any, any thoughts on that? No, I, I totally agree with you. Sometimes there's, it's just 
fresh blood, as you mentioned, just needs to come in, change some things up. It is what it is. It wasn't one of those, like when he went, I was like, he might not have been here much longer anyway. Like, good for him. I don't know him personally. I'm sure he's a great guy. Yeah, yeah. I've got, oh, I have zero issues with Matt Irifus as a human being. I'm not going to pretend to know him overly well. Clearly, I've said some things that he probably doesn't want to know me overly well. I don't think his wife probably wants to know me very well either. But um, that, that that's fine. I got nothing against Iberfus. You know, a lot of Chicago people have reached out and just been like, hey, what are we getting here? The thing that I think it separates him from Sirianni, I thought Sirianni would be relatable quicker with players. That is a question I would have about Iberflus. Um, obviously, the offensive angle would worry me because I think Justin Fields needs right. some development and just needs a consistent presence there. Um, so I'm fascinated to see how he does up there. But, you know, I think it's something, Chris, like, Iberflus can leave and have great success in Chicago and no success in Chicago. And to me, that shouldn't have any bearing on how I view this open defensive coordinator Correct. spot. I think like, it's good for both parties. It can be good. It could be awful for Chicago. But I just think change is needed. I, I just think you have reached a point in time where you kind of know the answer where you're at defensively. And he got you out of the basement, which is fine and well. Um, had a big change in, in system and personnel. I, I'm, I'm pretty open-minded to this system. I think some tweaks. I think Chris Bowers mentioned some of those tweaks that you would like to see moving forward. And now, um, I think it'll be a coveted job. You know, I, I think you come in here, you get to be a total overseer of that unit. It's not like Sean McDermott's hiring you to be the D.C. or um, <clears throat> trying to think who the other defensive-minded coach was that, that kind of made it far. Um, you are the overseer of that unit, and you get to call the plays. There's a Pro Bowl-level talent at all yep. three levels. There's young drafted talent at all three levels. Um, so I think it should be a very attractive job. Um, so far, and again, we're recording this Monday just before lunch. The three names, and uh, shout-out to Joel Erickson from the Star. He's doing a great job on top of a lot of this reporting. The three names that have been either have interviewed or will interview Joe Collin, Chris Harris, Jim Schwartz. Let's start there. I think those were the weekend interviews. Uh, Collin, long history in the NFL as a D-line coach. Actually, the Jags D.C. last year. Um, Chris Harris, Chris Ballard drafted in Chicago. No experience as a defensive coordinator. Younger guy, 38-39. More of a secondary guy. Most recently in Washington. Jim Schwartz, probably the most popular name, I would say, on this list. Mm -hmm. Uh, head coach of the Lions, not sure if he wants that scratch from his resume or not, but he is uh, one of the more iconic clips in NFL history, Jim Harbaugh and Jim Schwartz running after each other after the yes. game. <laughs> Can we get an NFL films on that? So good. How good is that? So good. Do the Colts play the Vikings next year? Uh, let me look that up. We need Harbaugh to be hired by the Vikings. Jim Schwartz hired as a defensive coordinator. I feel like the Colts play the Vikings for some reason. Yeah, they do. I feel like they do too. I yep. think that's their, their matchup game. uh the extra game. You know how the Bucks were the extra game this year? Mm -hmm. I think that's it. All right, Harbaugh and Schwartz. Instead of doing the old coin toss for overtime, just have Schwartz and Harbaugh wrestle. Awesome. Thumb more. Awesome. Um, you know, do, they could do like the old XFL where oh. they just put the ball and you just run and the first person get it. <laughs> I mean, just literally concussions like none other <laughs> for the XFL. Uh, Jim Schwartz, long history as a defensive coordinator in this league. The overlap with Frank Reich in Philly. When you look at the shorts era, I hear a lot about you know defensive linemen, great pass rush. I, I don't know. I haven't seen the sack numbers as you know that that really back that up. I mean, he's coached some good defensive linemen, and there have been some moments, but I haven't seen like a ton of you know top ten, top fifteen years in sacks. Um, but I guess I was mainly looking at the Philly years, and then the three names that it sounds like could be Monday or Tuesday, Chris, Gus Bradley. Former Jags coach, yep. most recently at the Chargers. Is that correct? Yes, I believe so. Chargers, D.C. Uh, Joe Witt, who's a DB coach, and Chris Richard, who um, comes from Seattle, Dallas, New Orleans as well, interviewed here for the head coaching gig in 2018. Um, so a guy that I think his name has kind of been floated around for a while. And... How old is he? 42. Chris okay. Richard there. So those are the six. Um, those are the six of them. I'm trying to see when he interviewed for the head coaching gig here. 
He was Legion and Boom, or he's coming from Seattle? Coming from Seattle in like coaching. Okay. Um, underneath that, underneath that, uh, that tree there. Um, that's who I want, Chris, right there. Chris Richard. Chris Richard. I, I like a combination of hiring Chris Richard, um, who again is more of a DB, um, guy so more of a secondary guy and then i'm intrigued by joe colin who was with jacksonville and then coach in baltimore for the previous handful of years when i think about d lines the colts have had issues with i think about baltimore and jacksonville yeah and i think about some some personalities and some dudes i think about those two defensive lines as Mm -hmm. well so that's intriguing to me Um, again i have no idea if that's a combination that would work but I think there you're you're appeasing a little bit of the pass game focus I talked about earlier. Okay, Richard comes from Seattle. He still has the Dallas tree, which is kind of the Marinelli-ish tree um, to him. But Seattle did some things that the Colts, I think, I've always been fond of. Ed Dodds, you know, being in Seattle. Looks like Ed Dodds is still going to be here in Indianapolis. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think that would be the route that I would go. And then Colin for his defensive line development. If you look at his resume, a lot of different stops in the NFL and a lot of these players had their career years with him or, you know, this unit had, you know, the high in over the last decade, you know, things like that. So that would be attractive to me um, with that. And you said how many interviews this week? So it sounds like there's three over the weekend. Sounds like another three here Monday and Tuesday there. Okay. And... um yeah, we'll see this time next week if we're talking about a new defensive coordinator or not. Obviously, you still got what? Five openings in head coaching world? Yeah. There's Next still time, right? some dominoes to fall. Right. Um, Saints, Jags, Vikings, uh, Texans. Yep. Raiders? No, Raiders got Raiders just got McDaniels. <laughs> they, got, they got the snake. That'll be fun. Uh, who, else, who, who else am I forgetting? Saints, Texans, Vikings, Jags. Oh. What? No. I don't know. I'd have to look up. Field Yates is keeping a, a tracker. He's doing a good job keeping yeah. up with all of it. And as people know who listen to this podcast, normally right after we record, something breaks. But if <laughs> at least we're getting a day buffer if they have some meetings tomorrow as well. Yeah. So, But like you said, it wouldn't shock us if by this time next week we have some Dolphins. Moves. Oh, duh. Dolphins. Dolphins, Dolphins, Dolphins. So, yeah. So, yeah, we'll see those dominoes play out and uh, who is, again, I think it's a coveted job. I, I think it would be attractive. You know, I don't look at it as a, you're taking over the 32nd ranked defense or anything like that or, you know, you need gobs and gobs. Yeah, I mean, you need some some development at some spots. Um, it could use some, I think, veteran presence on the defensive line. But still, I think it's a good opportunity to have full autonomy of what goes on in that side of the ball. Chris Bauer is definitely going to let, or Frank Reich is definitely going to let you have that and, have at it. All right. That was the intro. Talked about Matt Eberflus, defensive coordinators. Now let's jump to Kevin's favorite part of the podcast, which is talking to you guys and some Twitter questions. Let's do it. As you guys uh, know and listening to the offseason, we shorten them down a little bit, try and stay focused. We'll do hit on different topics each week. First one comes from JD. He says, it seems like Frank Reich's game is built to have some dump-offs and safety outlets, which is why we gave Naheem Hines a shiny new contract. Is Carson Wentz's biggest issue that he won't take those dump-off for short gains? Love the podcast. Ready for all this off-season contact, content, I should say. And like most people, draft stuff is his favorite. Yeah, that's, um, that's interesting, J.D. Um, you know, Kurt Warner, in that interview, you, know, you guys kind of heard about the eyes thing you know, with mm-hmm. Warner. So, like, you know, does that have to do something with it? You know, I feel like when the Rivers to Wentz thing happened, and I wrote kind of a pros and cons, one of the cons to losing Rivers that I don't think we acknowledged enough is not only how accurate he is, but how proper his ball placement is. Like, there are some people that are of the thinking that if Mahomes puts that ball in the money to Tyreek Hill to end the first half, hits him in stride, Hill scores. It was a little bit behind Hill. I just thought Mahomes' ball placement was just off on those underneath stuff all day. Uh, like, those are some of the plays where Rivers throws that in stride. Wentz is just like, uh, instead of your left shoulder running forward, it's on your right shoulder. Um, 
So I think that is something when you look at the yards after catch numbers that were really different as well. Um, you know, I I feel like the Colts kind of high percentage plays are schemed up for bigger gains or like the ones that they get kind of bigger yards after catch gains. It's more of kind of just things that have been schemed up, not just kind of like individual athletes doing things in the open field, breaking tackles and making plays. Like I, I can't think of Hines catching one crosser all year, man. Um, I can't think of Campbell or, or Pittman catching too many either. Obviously injuries for Campbell played into it there. So, um, you know, I don't know if that's Carson's biggest issue. He won't take those dump-offs because I still think you've got to get something vertically going down the field to help you out. But I also think this played into Hines's quieter yeah. season compared to, I think, what many of us were, were projecting. Mm-hmm. All right, this next one's from Pumpkin Pastry. No. <laughs> Can't say I've ever had one. No, you're not a big pumpkin guy? Uh, not a not a big pumpkin guy. No, you're no. not getting your pumpkin spice lattes right when they come out. I cannot early. say I'm in line <laughs> for those, brother. No, no, no. Give me my black coffee. It tastes like hell. And gut through it. <laughs> Do you believe that this is Chris Ballard's hardest offseason that he's ever faced? No future left tackle, limited offseason weapons outside of Jonathan Taylor and Michael Pittman. Very, and very is emphasized here, limited quarterback play, no dynamic pass rush, and needing secondary help all with very little draft capital and with the salary cap that will more than likely be reserved for paying some of our guys, such as Quentin Nelson, Kari Willis, Bobby Okereke, and maybe even Rock. Mix all that in with the pressure that the recent failure and the huge swing and miss a quarterback. Not envious of his job this offseason, especially considering his top personnel are going to get poached, as we've already seen with the hiring of Matt Eberflus. Boy, I think it's a great point um, and some great questions in there. Like, one thing about Ballard in his era, in his tenure, he's always had a good abundance of resources entering off seasons. You know, we, mainly we talk about it, certainly cap space, and, that, and that's here as well. I mean, the cap space is definitely available this season, um, but the draft picks are not. You know, you might get a couple comp picks, you know, in round five, something like that. Um, but when you think about the resources, it's just limited. I go, you know, we go back to the earlier point that I made in the podcast, Chris, if you're kind of mapping out the all-chips-in approach, you don't have as many chips as you would like to have yeah. to go down that path. You know, I saw it, I don't know, it was probably about a week ago, but you see that left tackle stat on Twitter? Like, you know, only three left tackles weren't first, second, or third round picks. Mm-mm. You know, it's just a position that, like, you really have got to make sure that you are drafted there. Yeah. Um, okay, well, does that take away one of your picks? You know, what about quarterback? You know, Ballard doesn't believe in wideout is a drafted guy early and he comes in here and makes an immediate impact. I mean, and Michael Pittman didn't have, like, a seamless transition as well. So, like, does that mean free agency for a receiver? Um, again, you've drafted a ton of defensive linemen. Does that mean free agency for pass rush to try and kind of offset what you have there? I, I do think this is the hardest offseason he's faced. I think that's really well put combination of the questions you have and the resources that are available. Yeah, I mean, money does move people, but then you also have to wonder, you know, say you're Chris Godwin or something, not even that high level, but say, you know, free agent wide receiver, do I want to go play with Carson Wentz? Yeah. You know, maybe I only have one or two more contracts, or this is kind of a prove-it two-year, three-year deal to get one one final contract. Do my stats diminish coming to Indianapolis? No, I I think that's a really good point. You know, if you are tied or level with other teams and that person's comparing, oh, wow, let's look at their quarterback situation versus, you know, whatever. I've The Chargers want me, and I've got Justin Hurt, you know, something like that. Right. Um, I, I think that's a really good point. Kevin, this next one comes from Brian. We're going to stick with Carson Wentz. He feels like physically – He's comparable to Josh Allen and Andrew Luck, and actually his Wonderlick score was slightly higher than those guys, even though they all scored extremely high. But why the heck can't this guy play football? If we're sticking with Carson Wentz, they need to model themselves after the 49ers, Brian Fields. Feels like real pass rushers, great running game, and a legit playmaker at wide receiver and tight end. Right now, all the Colts seem to have is a running game. You know, Brian, um, I hear you on the size, athleticism, wonderlick, all that. I mean, have you, ever, have you ever taken the wonderlick, Chris, or like seen a one online? I've not. How many is it? 
It's like you got 12 minutes to answer. Right. I don't know, I, the only ones questions. I did, do you remember they do, used to do it in Madden? Oh, do they really? Like if you had a creative character, I'm pretty sure <laughs> you had the to quarterback, take the it was like a shortened version. Wow. Well, at least it would be open book. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the Wonder Lick is pretty much a glorified SAT. So right. sure, it you know measures your IQ to some level, but I think football IQ and Wonder Lick IQ can be very, very different. Um, I think there's a whole lot of intangibles in between your physical tools, Chris, and your Wonderlick. Yeah, I think something that we have to keep on reminding ourselves about the Wentz-Reich relationship, think about how much has happened to Carson Wentz since Frank Reich last coached him on the field. Physically, the injuries, a torn ACL, mentally, a franchise saying no, Carson Wentz saying no to the Eagles, disconnect within a coaching staff, the drafting of Jalen Hurts, like... You know, all of that, I think you have to acknowledge. You know, you guys have heard me talk about the mental aspect to Wentz, which I think is so, so prevalent. As far as the San Francisco model, I think what stands out to me is this. You know, I think DeForest Buckner's a stud on your offensive line, but they've got two studs in Bosa and Armstead. Like, I would say that's a difference. And Debo Samuel and George Kittle, Chris, it's just a combination that, you know, the Colts don't sniff. I mean, right now, if you're going to say, all right, pick one wide out, one tight end, a matchup with anybody in the league, you're picking Michael Pittman and Mo Alley-Cox. And they're picking Debo Samuel and George Kittle? Right. <laughs> Chris, that's like, you know. It'd be like playing the old school NBA jam where you get two guys. So looking at <laughs> looking at if you could just pick the two right. guys, that's – I'm not playing with that team. No, you've got the two, you know – Whoever was the worst team. You got the Vancouver Grizzlies or whoever it would have been. You <laughs> yeah, got Bryant Reeves, yeah, Reeves. and somebody. And, <laughs> yeah, I've got Shaq and Kobe here, whoever. Right. Um, Debo Samuel, dude. I literally thought to myself, so I went to I went to pee about, well, they scored a touchdown. Cup scored the touchdown and they get 17-14. Yes. Is that right? That third and one. Cup's so freaking he's, good. And he's always open. Always open. <laughs> and, like, the, the ball that – Stafford threw to him on that third and four. Talk about a window and what a catch by Cup. And then the after the catch. Right. Cup is so good after the catch. He had so many yards here at Lucas Oil after the catch in that week two matchup. So I'm sitting there peeing. I'm like, you know, I got a heavy financial stake involved in the Rams. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, they only win this game if they somehow tackle Debo Samuel. And I have no faith in them tackling Debo Samuel. Like, he runs through so many tackles. And I find it fascinating how, like, when you put wide receivers in the backfield, Chris, usually it's like they're fast, they're quick, jet sweeps, you know, get them to the perimeter. No, they treat Debo Samuel like it's Mike Allstott back there. They're like, oh, in between the tackles, here we go. And he's running through defensive tackles. And you know know it's coming. You 100% know it's coming. Until the final drive, where I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, first play of the final drive, I'm literally sitting, here comes a draw, here comes a screen, here comes a run to Sam. You know, get Von Miller up the field, get Aaron Donald up the field, and take advantage of that. And no, I thought Shanahan just kind of out outthought him. So. Yeah. so, Brian, I hear you out on the San Francisco model, but I do think there are a couple of just clear differences in the two models that... I don't see a way around in a very easy fashion. Yeah. All right, frequent listener Wake Spike has a question regarding Chris Ballard and free agency. Felt like he seemed to have a moment of reflection during that final press conference, which you touched on last week. Uh, This is hopefully going to change his position on how he spends in free agency. If he opens up his wallet a little bit more, does he risk creating animosity in the locker room from the players who maybe got the Pawn Star-esque, ah, this is the best we can do treatment? Uh, boy, this is deep. You know, this is a little bit. What would I do, Chris? I'd tell the locker room to get the hell over it. We finished 10th. If I'm Chris Boward and they're whining about free agency money, we finished 10th, 7th, and 8th in the AFC the last three years. It's time to do some things differently. Do you want your vacation to start on January 10th again? Or do you want to play? Right. The business, move on. They might go, well. That's your fault. Well, whatever. But uh, wake up call, wake spike. Come on, you know, competition. You preach it. it. You're also Chris. You're paying new guys. It's not like you're paying the in-house guys. Like this is part of free agency. When you hit the open market, you know, you're paying 
supply and demand. Supply and demand. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a little bit different there. So, um, yeah, I, I'd tell them to get over it. And if they're going to whine and fuss, show them why you're doing things the way you're doing it. And we need to, need to do some things differently. And, yeah, I don't know. That's that, That's a little too deep for me. Maybe I'm dead wrong. Matt has has a question regarding quarterbacks, and I believe next week we're going to get more into it, but this will just be a nice little Yeah, let's break down some quarterback options next week. Uh, Probably not going to happen, but if Chris Ballard would – but if you were Chris Ballard, would you rather go after Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson? Aaron Rodgers (laughs) is better, but not a long-term solution. Russell Wilson is a more long-term, but you'd have to give up picks to get him, which the Colts don't have many of to spare, as we talked about. Keep up the great work. Love listening to the podcast every week. Boy, well, thank you for that, Matt. I mean, do you want to wake up next to Beyonce or Olivia Culpa? (laughs) I don't think you're going to complain too much, Chris. You know, I don't. um, Shit, I'd take, you know, wow. Um, First off, you're going to have to give up picks for Rogers, too. Correct. You know, this is not just a... Wilson sort of thing. Um, I I don't know. Maybe longer term, you'd rather have Wilson. I think Rodgers still has a two to three year window that he can get a whole lot done in that two to three year window. Mm-hmm. So, Matt, flip a coin, man. Flip a coin and hope you've got Kansas City's luck. Do they have a weighted coin in Kansas City? How do they keep on winning the toss? <laughs> Should the Bengals have gone tails? I always you got to. I'm you a tails to. never fails guy. Josh Allen went tails, right? Was he out there? Whoever was out there for him. Uh, he might have. I know. Who was out there? Did Cincinnati send their punter out there? Was that who? It looked Keeper? like their punter, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. I mean, either. I, I... It's a great prop during Super Bowl. And I know we're going to – we have time to talk about that. Oh, yeah, we got to talk about The props are just yeah. awesome. Rogers sh- short-term, Wilson a little bit longer term. Okay. Well, you know, Wilson, it is – you know, when does physically he hit a wall? You know, yeah. that is a big part. Obviously, his height isn't going to change – um, I think his arm strength and his ability to throw the deep ball is much different than a Drew Brees or somebody like that. But I still think that's a wild or a, a fair point. The Rodgers thing, I mean, yeah, it's just I know he's kooky, but <laughs> this one comes from Patrick of the guys who are up for a new contract. Who do you think is most likely to stay, and who will be most likely to let go? You know, Patrick, this is something we'll get into as well in kind of some February pods. I posted something on the website on Monday about this, kind of ranking the tiers. Um, you guys know I do the green, yellow, red. I've got a lot in green, Chris. Now, maybe not as, like, darkish green as I have had in years past, maybe a little bit more lighter green into the yellow. Um, like, when I break it down, I think to myself, you know, one starter, two starters, like, I don't have a whole lot of, Again, stand on the table moments with this free agency class. So um, that I think is something that is just interesting about this group. There's a lot of notable names, a lot of playing time like on the list, but again, not a lot of – it's the weird balance of like, I've let them all walk. Well, no, I mean, you're going to want to re-sign some of them. Uh, but outside of a Chris Reed and a Mo Alley-Cox, like maybe a Tyquan Lewis – Al Kadim Muhammad, I don't know. Does Al Kadim Muhammad go to Chicago with Eberflus? I, you know, who knows. Yeah, right. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll we'll get into that a little bit more down the road. This one's from Travis. Do you think the production delta between a Jacoby Brissett in twenty twenty one for the Colts versus a Carson Wentz led team this year is proportionate to the delta in compensation required to have them as your starting quarterbacks? It seems like we could have had a third round tackle with the year of development a first rounder in your pocket, an extra 20 million cap space, and you'd still be nine and seven on the outside looking in maybe, but just inhale not too much choking. I've just inhaled too much choking after the disaster loss against Jacksonville. Wow. Deltas. Jeez. Um, that's interesting. Um, Travis, I feel like I've got like that. Hangover numbers meme in I was my head say, right now, <laughs> trying to sift through everything. Yeah, I mean, you can make the argument you got the same return as on Wentz as you did Brissett, and the price tags are much different. Mm-hmm. Um, that's frustrating. You, know, you guys have long heard me say, 
quarterback has got to cover up warts. Am I wearing ugly shoes, Chris, or do my bicep biceps hat and shirt look so good you don't even notice my shoes? Yeah, I'm not looking at your shoes. That's got to be the goal of quarterback, you know? Like, you can't have it to where I'm noticing multiple layers of clothing, and I felt like that's the Colts situation of, like, your quarterback is not covering up for other areas. Your mm-hmm. quarterback, it's exposing your wide receiver issues. It's exposing what you have a left tackle. I do feel like at times the expectations for the defense is higher because you aren't necessarily able to score and, and score in the manner that you need to in today's NFL. I mean – I consider myself a longtime follower of the Colts, dating back to even the days I was in high school and college and things like that. I, I'd have to think, I'd have to think about it for a few minutes to name the Colts' starting offensive guards, defensive tackles, and linebackers in the Super Bowl. You know, those just don't pop off the page. So that I think kind of gets into Travis's point of like. There is a return on investment that I think is 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 needed. Um, you know, are are the Rams getting that with Stafford? I mean, they won ro- one road playoff game last year, then lost. Now they're in the Super Bowl. I yeah. mean, I would think that's worth it. Um, yeah, I think that that is what is particularly frustrating, and that is what worries you moving forward. Of like, you know, have you spent? Did you spend too much on Wentz to spend again? You know. Yeah, whatever. You bought the wrong shirt and you can't return it. Do you spend for another shirt or do you right. say, yeah, whatever, I'll wear it, screw it? Or you like know? when you know when you get out of college and it's like, I gotta wait till that next payday before I can. <laughs> that that next check has to come in right. before I can do anything. Right. So right. I'll just keep wearing the shirt, I guess. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Seriously. Um, no, I I think that's yeah, well said in NFL financial terms. This one's from Brian. With the Eagles having lots of draft capital this upcoming draft, or they do have a lot of draft capital this upcoming draft, as we know. You know, Sirianni loves Zach Paschal. Is there any way that we can bundle a player or two for a second or a third-round pick from them? It seems like if there is anyone who would trade with us, it would be the Eagles. Colts trade for the 49ers or Buckner. 49ers are in the playoffs. Colts trade for Wentz. Eagles are in the playoffs. Have the Colts been outbidding themselves? Boy, this is like... You're trading Zach Pascal for that. This is a. Uh, I used to love the Chris Brown Dreamer song. I think it was for the Beijing Olympics one time back in the day. Dreamer. <laughs> I mean Pascal. Like, I guess you're you're saying bundle another player. I mean you aren't getting more than what a seventh round pick for Zach Pascal. Sixth round pick maybe. It's not going to be a second or a third. The Pascal Ballard dynamic was really weird at that press conference. He almost just acted like this year didn't even happen. I'm like. I don't think Zach Pascal has proven himself to the magnitude where you just like skip over a year, especially a contract year. You know, contract year when you guys feeling pressure and a little bit more rising to the occasion, more is on his plate, things like that. So, yeah, Brian, you're not getting anything of note for, yeah. for Pascal. I guess if, if you bundle significant player, then yeah, but yeah, if the Eagles don't look past like the week three stats, you're, yeah, exactly. You're pretty good. Yeah, maybe if Sirianni doesn't watch 2021 film. <laughs> From Scotty, how much capital would you give up? For each of these players, Russell Wilson, Derek Carr, Jimmy Garoppolo. So we can start there. I can read the second portion as well. Uh, okay, let's start there. Uh, so draft capital for each of the three. Yep. Russell Wilson, I'm giving up multiple first-round picks. Okay. Derek Carr, I'd give up a high-end day two pick and probably a middle-ish rounder on top of that. Jimmy G is probably a no for me. Um, sure, recency bias. What I worry about is... The injury situation, probably more than anything. Like, to me, he is a more hurt Carson Wentz. I don't know what if I'm really giving up. I guess it's something new, but... Well, again, like you said, he has Depot Samuel and George Kittle. Touche. <laughs> Even Touché. if he comes here, we're not having that yeah, for you. Yeah, no, that is a good point. Um, you know, at times I think Garoppolo is an upgrade over Wentz, but at other times I'm like, are you just kind of staying the same and just putting a new... A new, longer jersey name on the back of the jersey. Mm-hmm. Make caramel moms <laughs> get a little feeling, you know, about Jimmy G versus when I. Who knows? He didn't ask about Rogers because he knows he's too old, and the capital will be 
too much out there, but of those three, um, which would set up the Colts best for the next five to seven years? I, I still think it's Wilson. Obviously, you'd be missing out on some draft picks moving forward. Uh, Carr, I don't think, is that far behind, though, with that. So, um, yeah. Uh, second to last one from Loop. Did the unvaccinated status of the team, quote-unquote, leaders lead to the demise of the Colts season? After all, it did seem to start to unravel after the rash of infections. Yeah, I mean, I, I've gotten this question several times. And by the way, Chris, I sent you a couple of questions via email, so let's throw those on at the end okay. as well. Um, I mean, it felt like the entire NFL dealt with COVID late. And did it happen to the Colts' more prominent players? Sure. Um, I guess that's not the most shocking thing in the world considering the vaccination statuses. I I am of the thinking it did not play as big of a role um, that that it ended up, that I think some people are are giving credit to. Um, I think it's mostly an excuse, and I think Wart's finally evolved. That's what I think. Um, You know, if you look at, like, the COVID numbers and how many games missed for COVID all year, I think the Colts finished... 30th in the NFL in terms of most games missed due to COVID. They get eight games guys missed all year. So, yeah, I don't, I don't necessarily think it was a huge, huge um, role. I think it's a bit of an excuse, and I think over the course of 17 games, this team probably looked like a nine and eight football team. How they got there differently than you know maybe some would have would have thought they gotten there, but yeah, I just. Maybe the like the embarrassment of it, maybe like how badly got beaten. Maybe that, but still I think it's just kind of a cop out and an excuse to go there. Okay. And I said loop, I apologize if it's pronounced Lupe. I don't I don't know, but Lupe Fiasco. That's right. This one's from Ryan. Would you have would you have taken not getting DeForest Buckner, Michael Pittman, and Jonathan Taylor for drafting Justin Herbert? Over the years the Colts have missed out on a lot of guys. But he's the first draft pick. First draft pick that haunts him. I think that the 13th overall, and we may have went up to the seventh pick. Manning to luck to Herbert would have been a stretch like no other. Please tell me I'm wrong, KB. I just <laughs> want to feel better. Great job for the great job on the pod. Keep it rolling. <laughs> Thank you, Ryan. I appreciate that. Chris, this is the definition of hindsight. The definition of it. Um, I also feel like back when this situation was there and Andrew Luck was gone, at that point, at every critical juncture, whether it be free agency, trades, or the draft, you've got to sit there as a franchise and say, before we get to any other names, any other positions on the list, let's start a quarterback. Who do we like? Can we get that person? Like, that's got to be the first thing you do. I know that you got to force Buckner. For the 13th overall pick, and that obviously is a very important ingredient to you. And by the way, I don't think it's Buckner, Pittman, and Taylor, right? I think it would just be Buckner and then... Or sorry, Buckner slash Pittman. Got it, got it, got it, got it. Okay. Um, yeah, to me, I would say you would have Pittman, Pittman and Buckner, or you'd have Buckner and Taylor. Buckner and Taylor, uh, yeah. Wouldn't have both those second rounders. Um, but, yeah, you know, when you sit there from 13 and you're jumping to six... I don't have the trade value chart in front of me, Chris, but that's probably only a second rounder. And that doesn't seem too daunting. No. You know, but that's what you got to think about. If like, hey, you know, we're going to be a pretty good football team moving forward. Um, we're going to be drafting a little bit later. This is our chance at 13 to try and get higher there and, you know, take one of those three. At the time, it was what, Herbert, Tua, and, and, uh, and uh, Burrow with the three quarterbacks, yes. Jordan Love also. Um, I, I think basically the moral is this. I don't think the Colts value drafting a quarterback like I think you need to value it. Like To me, that's the path you've got to go down to try and get your franchise at the level that you want to get to and try to maintain that level for years to come. Um, I think there's so many examples you can point to around – Today's NFL, the last handful of years in the NFL. Um, and so that's where I just don't f- – I don't feel like at that time it was, hey, we're not that far away, let's go get Buckner. Buckner was a need with, with 
without a doubt, honestly, the Tyquan Lewis development hurt you a lot in this. Your Tyquan Lewis was drafted to be that three technique of, of, of the future. Um, that really hurt you. But what I would like to see right now, and you're not going to get it, drafted as high as obviously 13 overall or trading up to five or six to take a Herbert or take a two at that point. But I would really like to see Frank Wright get a drafted quarterback that he has identified traits and that he can develop. And Jacob Eason was the 120th-something pick. Theoretically, now you'd get the 40th-something pick. So 80 spots is a whole lot when you're talking about quarterback talent. So um, that should be or is one of Frank Reich's greatest strengths. You know, As a head football coach is the quarterback position, developing of that player. Because I think once you get in the league, man, scar tissue can really, really hurt. Really, really Mm -hmm. hurt. Um, So that's probably where I would think about it, Ryan. I I, I get it. It, Hindsight is, again, super 2020. And you aren't going to find many people that actually can pull up receipts that are like, I said back then that they should have traded up and drafted Justin Herbert. Um, I I was a little bit mixed feelings on Herbert. Um, But when you're sitting there at that time, that's when it comes knocking. Just like this time last year, Chris. When you're sitting there and Stafford's available and Wentz is available, you know, getting multiple shots at giving up first-round picks to get a quarterback don't happen often for yeah. GMs, head coaches in the NFL. So, Marshall Mathers, one shot, one opportunity, <laughs> you know? Mm. Kevin, this one comes from TM. He saw on Twitter someone say that Jim Irsay's recent videos – on uh, is him taking back control of the team from Chris Ballard. Wants to know if you have any sense of that, and if so, do you believe that this could fracture the trust or relationship between the two? Um, I don't know if I, you know, agree like totally on it. I mean, Chris Ballard is still has, has had say in quarterback decisions, uh, which I think that's pretty much what you're getting at. I think that's probably the most important. Um, I mean, if there really was fracture of trust and relationship, I don't think Ballard's handed out a five-year extension, or Ursay's handed out a five-year extension to Ballard. You know, I, I've said this before, Chris. I think Frank Reich and Chris Ballard need to be on a very hot seat going into the next year. And, like, this is human beings, Chris. 90% of humans hate accountability. We hate it. It makes us nervous. It makes us uneasy. It makes us sweat. Uh, a little scary at times. But, like... I think lighting a fire, not calling one playoff win and zero division titles in you know five years excellent is probably a step in the accountability direction. Um, these guys are competitors in the NFL. They're literally working, again, in the NFL. <laughs> that is the highest rung of professional sports. And I think it could go a long, long way. Um, you know, Think about it from like a college basketball sense, Chris. If you're struggling with grades and your coach comes up to that player and is like, hey, man, if you don't get these grades, you aren't going to play against Duke coming up. That's some accountability. That's mm-hmm. some consequences. That might push that player to spend more time with said tutor or whatever and try and get those grades. Um, I, I think of my wife. My wife manages a team, and you're at the end of the quarter, and you're pushing your salespeople to the end of the quarter, and you're dangling carrots out there of saying, hey, you know, that can work. You've you've been in this yep. world in this own building here. Mm-hmm. Um, the Colts have been at their best, Chris, in this era, as underdogs, as no one believes in us. There's some skepticism creeping in. Maybe the coaching staff and Chris Ballard would be best suited in that era as well. Like just because you're putting people on hot seats doesn't mean it's the end of the world. Like people can excel with that. I mean the Rams. Took a whole lot of pressure by doing what they did this year. And a whole lot of backfire would have happened had they not gotten to where they've gotten to. But I, I think you can people react differently under those lights there. So um I want to see Ursay be a little bit more publicly accountable with those two individuals. Because I think the organization needs it. And I think at times it's just been too smooth sailing. Yeah. We're gonna stick with Ursay for the final question from Twitter questions. This one's from Fur. First off, he wants to say the interview with Kurt Warner last week was killer and very good. Thank you. Appreciate it. I'm glad, I'm glad you liked that. Doesn't want to be a pessimist, pessimist, but he's a firm believer that there is a quarterback purgatory and we might possibly be in it. 
With Ursay as gung-ho as he is right now, what would it take for the Colts to actually blow this thing up and rebuild? Boy, it's hard to totally rebuild, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I guess what he's meaning is, like, fire, Boward and Reich, you know, that that sort of rebuild. Um, It would say I, I six to seven wins this coming season. It, it would say, like, for a total rebuild to happen, Chris, to, in my opinion, it would have to be, like, Bowden Wright going to Ursa and be like, we believe in wins. Watch us. He, year two, we'll get him some support at other spots. Um, you know, you have no more answers, and at those important positions and whatnot. Um, but yeah, I would say like a missing the playoffs. But if you're in like the sixty-seven win camp, again, this is not what I agree with. This is what I think right. how Ursa would handle things there. I assume that's what you're meaning by total rebuild um yeah i think that's where it would have to be you know because to me i think ursa is voting no on Wentz for a second year so you know if you demand if you say to him hey we feel good about it trust me there's not great options out there we're gonna run it back with them if that were to backfire that that could be it yeah all right, that does it for Twitter questions. Nice. Awesome. Uh, thank you, everybody, for sending those in. Uh, next couple of podcasts, a couple of things I want to hit on. Quarterback options. Starting to get into them. Three to four realistic options. Um, let's dive into those and then, again, ranking those free agents. There's a lot of names on that list, but kind of placing them into tiers and uh, going through that list I think is something we should do as well. Uh, Chris Presley, a Pro Bowl prediction from you. Oh, jeez. I don't, I don't <laughs> I'm kidding. Watch I'm kidding. Are they playing it this year? I don't even know. Where do they do it now? Do they do it in, is it? Vegas, baby. Oh, that's right. Okay, that makes sense. Vegas for the Pro Bowl. Nothing says, let's bring my family to a nice atmosphere like right. going to Vegas for the Pro Bowl. I'm, I'm wondering how many of the players are like, oh, you know, I could take the family to Miami or Hawaii. I kind of want to go to Vegas well, by they myself. Were, <laughs> you know, they were Orlando in the recent years. Yeah. Disney, obviously. That area. Does Carson Wentz get invited to the Pro Bowl? No. Was Burrow a Pro Bowler? I don't think he Well, He might have been. I just saw today Mahomes. that Kirk Cousins got invited now that A-Rod's sitting out because of his toe. Really? Mahomes, Josh Allen, Justin Herbert? Were those the Pro Bowlers? Probably. I, I don't know. Mark Jackson? I mean, he's got to be a Pro Bowler, right? Mac Jones, named the Pro Bowl. So he must have been an all okay. right? Yes, he, I, do, I did see that. Um, Josh Allen backed out or whatever. Yeah, that's you know the, there needs to be a distinction between Pro Bowlers and Pro Bowl alternates. Yes, I mean, dude, it's bad. I mean, like, plus, you know, you can have like the AFC have perfect health at wideout where they don't go to any alternates, and the NFC they need to go you know five alternates deep, and all of a sudden you know the eighth best NFC wideout is going and the fourth best AFC. So Justin do, Herbert, Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson. Do they all get bonuses then? It's like. Well, I couldn't go because I'm in the Super Bowl or I'm hurt. Do I still get my yeah, bonus? Yeah, I think you do. And then those other players get a bonus too? Yeah, that's a good point, man. <laughs> yeah, Herbert's a starter, actually, now that I'm looking at this. Interesting. So, yeah, Colts with seven of them. But uh, next week's pod, again, let's look at the quarterback situation, options there, and then we'll uh, preview a little bit of Super Bowl as well. As always, thank you guys for listening. Thank you for the questions, the back and forth as well. Um you guys know where to find us if you have any thoughts, any questions. And uh, everybody have a great week. Happy February, and we'll talk to you next week on Kevin's Corner. This has been Kevin Bowen. Thank you for listening to another edition of Kevin's Corner. If you haven't already, subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher for the best Colts and Pacers coverage.